Morning. Happy Mother's Day. Not, not, I'm not a mom. <laughs> to all the moms in the room, uh, we as men express our gratitude for, to you and for you. Uh, the world would not be the same without moms. Amen. Uh, I think of that all the time with Jenny. Our house would crumble literally physically, emotionally, spiritually. Uh, the rock of a woman. Uh, I'm so grateful for you moms. I also know this with many of you in the room. It can be a bittersweet day for some you come rejoicing and some you come with sadness today because you uh, miss your mom or you've lost your mom. Uh, this year. And so with that, I, I say to you, uh, I'm sorry for your loss. And I know that God is still good to us in our loss. Let me pray for us this morning. And then we'll jump in here to James uh, chapter one. If you're sitting by a mom, uh, if you would just uh, put your hand on her, I want to pray a blessing over the moms this morning. And then we'll jump into God's word today. God, I, I'm so grateful for the moms in this room. I think of Jenny and the mom she is to our kids. And I think of the moms in here that uh, as a young man have even molded and shaped and mothered me. God, I'm just reminded um, of where you say in your word that when we come to you and we become children of you, you'll bring us a hundredfold mothers and brothers and fathers. And God, I did not grow up in a home uh, that I had a great mom who modeled wisdom and love and kindness. And yet, God, in your goodness to me, in your kindness to me, you've brought so many women in my life. Donna, Miss Patty, Eleanor, that have just shaped and molded me. So many more moms in this room that have been kind to me and patient with me and loving to me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for all the moms that demonstrate that to all of us in this place. We're so reminded that you... God, or a father, but in so many ways, you are a mother to us. Pray that we would never rob you of, of you, of that feminine quality that you hold, that you pour out into moms. So I'm grateful for that. We do want to celebrate all the moms in the room. This church and our lives would not be the same without them. God, I do pray for those of us in the room that have our struggle with Mother's Day, the loss of it and the pain of it, that we'd find comfort today through you and your Holy Spirit. God, continue to lead us and guide us as we come here to James chapter 1 and we continue to look at this idea of trials. I pray that through the Holy Spirit this morning that he would enlighten our minds, our hearts, our ears, our eyes to see, to hear, and receive your truth. And as we've been doing for months now, God, I 
ask for your provision and wisdom as we continue to look for a youth pastor that would lead and guide and shepherd the students of this church. We are desperate uh, for you and for your provision in that place for us. Again, we come and we say thank you for all that you do for us. We do not deserve it. In your kindness to it, you pour it out onto us. We pray this in the mighty name of King Jesus and all of God's people this morning say, Amen. Well, here we are in this little letter of James. Uh, James has been given to us to have this idea that it's faith plus our works. Faith plus works. You can't have one without the other. And so James is walking us through that and will continue to walk us through that. But he's taken this first uh, couple verses right out of the gates to talk about trials. Again, I wish there was parts of God's word you could kind of like cut and paste. Anyone else? Like this is one of those moments. Like the rest of the book is super encouraging. These first few verses are like, ah, James, I could have done without that. Well, here we go again with trials. You may come to this passage here in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12 and wonder, how does this connect to trials? Because the first week we looked at what James said is that we are to take joy in all of our trials. And that's a challenge for me. I don't know if it's a challenge for you, but James is saying if you have faith, he wants to perfect our faith and the who is God and how does God perfect our faith? He perfects our faith primarily through our trials. And so James says, because you have faith that's been given to you by God, and now God's going to bring your faith to completion through the lens of trials, let's find joy in that. And so I hope that we are continually to go to God to find joy in the trials that we are facing. But then last week we looked at James, then comes into it and says, okay, I know I came out of the gates to say find joy in the trials. And now then he says, but here, find some wisdom in those trials because you will never find joy in the trials unless you have wisdom to see the trials, not through your eyes, but through the one that allows you to go through the trials. And so we're to ask God to give us wisdom or insight or his eyes to see our trials the way that he sees them. And that's, again, to bring our faith to completion. So we are to have wisdom and joy in our trials. And then it seems like he either took a lunch break or a bathroom break and came back to his writings and just kind of started off out of nowhere. But this passage has everything to do with trials. This morning it's about... Our trials through what? Poverty and riches. So he's going to say to us, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, the rich in his humiliation. And he's talking about trials. Now, how is he talking about trials? If we're honest with ourselves this morning, it has everything to do with how we see the riches of the world. Or how we see the poverty of the world. Now what James is going to do. He's going to use this thing. That is throughout God's word. It's called a paradox. 
A paradox is this. This is the definition. A seemingly absurd or contrary statement, when investigated, may prove to be well-founded or true. So a paradox, it, it seems contrary when you first look at it, but when you start digging deep into it, it's going to reveal the truth in the statement. Over and over we see that in God's Word. Jesus uses a paradox in Matthew chapter 23, verse 11. The paradox is this. Whoever wants to be great will be what? A servant. That's a paradox. Greatness normally doesn't go with servitude, does it? No. Jesus again says in Mark chapter 9, verse 35, whoever wants to be first will be last, and whoever wants to be last will be, that's a paradox. Like, at first, it's like, that's crazy. He then says in Luke chapter 17, a paradox, whoever tries to save his life or keep his life will what? Lose his life. But he who wants to lose his life will find it or have his life. And so we see throughout God's word, he uses these absurd things on the, 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 the surface value look crazy. And he says that again. That's what James is going to say here in James 1, verse 9 and 10. How, what's the paradox? Let's look at the, the few words. Let the lowly brother, the lowly Christian, the lowly brother or sister boast in his what? Exaltation. Now, how are you to boast in your exaltation if you're lowly? And then he says, let the rich, what? In his humiliation or boast in his humiliation. Now, when you think about a rich person, how many rich people in the world's eyes are humble people? Not many. And so James is going to use this paradox to show us and to reveal to us what happens for us in our trials. So he's going to take the contrast between the poor Christian and the rich Christian. This is what one writer says that James is doing. I think it's so accurate. He says there's this deep contrast between the permanent and the perishable. What is permanent and what is perishable. That is what James is going to do in this text. So let's look first at what James says to the rich brother. I'm going to read it again. It says, let the lowly brother boast, boast in his exaltation. Throughout the book of James, you'll see James advocate for the poor man. Over and over and over, he says that to us. He says, let us look out for the widow. Let us look out for the orphan. He says to uh, them that you are to care for the poor man throughout his letter. Well, that's not what James is doing this morning. James is not making an advocation for the poor man. He's not coming to the rich brothers and sisters and says to them, hey, because they're lowly, go take care of them. He's going to do that later on in the letter. He's going to say, based on your faith, that must be in works, you're to care for the lowly brother. But that is not what he's saying here to us this morning, what James is saying to us is he's speaking to us this morning through God's word. Now, here's the deal with who James is writing to. None of us in this room would be considered poor. Now, I know you're like, well, I don't have five pennies to rub together. That's more than they had to rub together. So he's not really talking to 
the American. Americans in the world, in, in the world's view, we are all very, very filthy rich. I mean filthy rich. Just based on how much we make a, a day compared to the rest of the world. So this morning, it's not talking about us when it comes to monetary value. He is going to talk to us about our spiritual value. And so what does it mean for us? Are you rich or are you poor? That's the question that you must ask yourself this morning. James says to us, if we're poor, we are to boast in our exaltation. So he's talking to the poor man about boasting as an exaltation. Well, what is a poor man to exalt in? What are we to exalt in? James is going to say to us, what does it mean to exalt in what? James is reminding the poor brother or sister to exalt in all that they've been given to them by God. He's reminding them and us this morning. We're all once poor. When it comes to the economy of our salvation. When it comes to our relationship with the Lord, all of us, it says that Paul says it this way. We are all enemies of Christ, but he came and died for us anyway. And then when he died for us, there was something that happened in all of us. All of us spiritually were poor before we came to know Jesus. Do you know that? And so we must remind ourselves, what are we to now exalt in? We're to be reminded of what he says in and through Paul in Romans chapter 8. Do you believe this to be true? And are you exalting in this this morning? Because we're going to get to the trial piece at the end. But you won't get to the trial piece of the exaltation of the promise that's coming to you unless you can rejoice in this and find joy in this this morning. Romans chapter 8, 17 says this, And if children of God... Then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we what? We suffer. In order that we may also glorify, be glorified in him. He's saying we must suffer as we become co-heirs with Jesus. And if we're co-heirs with Jesus, then we have everything that is God's to begin with. Like everything that God has, because we're now co-heirs with Jesus, he lavishes on us. When's the last time you thought of yourself as a co-heir with Christ Jesus? That only came out of your poverty. It was your poverty that brought you to become co-heirs with Jesus. When's the last time that you found joy, as James says, in your exaltation when's the last time you boasted in the poverty that you had and now because of your poverty you came to Christ and now you're co-heirs with Jesus this is another way that Peter will say it in first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 this is who we are in Jesus because of our poverty but you the Christian are a what a chosen race a royal priesthood a, a, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim the excellence of him who called us out of darkness 
into marvelous light. When's the last time that we rejoiced in being a royal priesthood? See, James is reminding us of who we once were, and out of reminding us who once we, we once were, we're reminded of what God did for us. If we're reminded of what God has done for us, we can rejoice in that because of all that he now lavishes on to us. He's going to say this, and this is what Jesus, as he starts his ministry, of all the ways that Jesus could have started his earthly ministry, of all the things he could have first said, you know, the first words in his first public ministry when he's on that hillside uh, that day, he says this, blessed is what? The poor in spirit. Because what happens to the poor in spirit? They receive what? The kingdom of God. So my question to you this morning, my question for me this morning, before we get to who we really are, the wealthy Christian, is this. What is your boasting in this morning? When's the last time you boasted in all that God has done for you in your salvation because you were once poor in great need of God's salvation to you? When you came to Christ, He lavished everything into your life and for your life. And now because of that, you are rich. He's going to move on at the very end to tell us the promise that comes with our poverty when we come to Christ Jesus. But now the crux of the passage for us this morning. Because we, if we're honest, are more like the rich man that he talks about. And then he says this, let the rich in his humiliation boast. He says, because this is like the rich man, the rich man is like a flower of the grass, he will pass away, or his riches will pass away. For the sun rises with the scorching heat, and withers the grass, its flowers falls, its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. We this morning are the rich man. How many of us in this room believe this? And you don't have to show your hands, just show it in your heart, because it's true in me. How often, how many times in my life I thought, if I was just richer, I'd be happier. If I was just richer, my troubles would seem to go away. Now, I know in the realm of Jesus, that's not true. I'm just telling you, when I sit on my couch and I begin to have that inner dialogue, am I the only one? If I just had a new car, a new job... A, a new shoes, you fill in the blank. If I had. And James is going to say to us, no, 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 if you had, I promise it's not going to do you any good. How many of us have ever said this in our heads? Again, not by show of hands unless you want to. Man, God, if you just gave me more, I'd give you more. Am I the only one? I'll, I'll at least be honest. I, I've had that thought before. Not that I'd ever play the lottery, but hey, if someone, if someone just gave me a million dollars, I'd be like, God, I'd give you back a lot more. I'm just being honest this morning. You don't have to be. But I often have that mindset. And then what I begin to realize is when God has blessed me with more, 
I become more of a hoarder than a giver. And my hoarding comes out of my fear that he won't give to me in the future. So I better hoard what he gave to me now so that I can have it to live on later because I, I'm not sure I really trust him that he's going to give me what I need for tomorrow. Therefore, I'm going to be like a squirrel that is packing away. Am I the only one? I'm just trying to be honest up here. I find myself in that season now. Jenny often asks me this question. And not that I'm against working and working hard and working a lot, but she says to me, how come you put so many hours into the day? And I'm like, well, God has opened doors of opportunity for me to see a lot of people. If I see people, I make money. If I make money, I can store it away because I'm not sure that six months from now when the economy tanks that anyone's going to have money to pay me to come see me. That's where my brain goes. You see, I'm in the business of seeing and helping people, and they have to pay to see me. And if the economy tanks, the first thing that happens is most people stop going to see a counselor. I'm just telling you, I've seen that historically. So right now, the economy's good. Therefore, business is good. If business is good, I better take that money and store it away. Because, again, not to make it political, our economy is tanking, as I saw on Friday. I'm like, that gives me fear. But my fear is leading me to trust myself rather than trust the Lord. And James says it so clear. And that's why I come to this passage this week, last week, I'm studying the passage. And I'm like, oh, can I not have to preach that? Because I'm preaching to myself more than anyone else. Because James says it this way. Hey, all that hustle and bustle of gathering, it's all going to go away. And it's going to go away quickly. Really fast. I don't want to hear that in the text. But that's the promise from God's word. And so what is James saying to us? That we must, what? We must boast in our humiliation. What does he mean by that? Well, I think one of the clearest pictures is this. We must boast in our neediness. You see, rich people are not needy people. Are they? Are we? I mean, let me say we. It's not them. We. I, I am a rich man in the eyes of the world. I, I often don't find myself being very needy. Why? Because I can take care of my own needs. With a stroke of a check. Or a swipe of a card. And what James is saying to us, we must be reminded of what? Just how needy we really are. Now, not monetarily, not uh, within our materials, but how spiritually we, needy we are. What Jesus says in J Mark chapter 10, you remember the passage, Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 31. That's where the, the young rich ruler comes to Jesus. He comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus and the young rich ruler have this ongoing conversation. And at the end of the conversation, Jesus says what to the young man? Go sell all that you have. Now, why would he tell the young man to go sell all that he had? To reveal to the young man just how needy he really is. And what do we see the response of the young man? He basically says, nah, I ain't going to do that. 
and goes away sad. And now these disciples are watching this interaction with Jesus and this young man as he walks away and Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this to his disciples. Remember what he says. Right after telling the young man, go sell all of your possessions to follow me. He looks at his disciples and says this. You know, it's way easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than it is for what? A rich man to get into heaven. What he's saying in that passage is this. It's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. It's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven based on what he has. You cannot buy your way into heaven is basically what Jesus is saying to the man and his disciples. It's way easier for the camel to walk through the eye of a needle. Why? Because needy people are often not rich people. So James is reminding the wealthy brother, he's reminding us this morning this. Will you and will I boast in our neediness? Who in the room, by a show of hands, wants to be known as needy? Yet, you want to be known as needy? Now, practically, when you leave here, do you want people to say, ah, Miss Patty's a needy person. Ah, oh, Miss Susie's a needy person. No, we don't really want to be known as needy. Like, that's what, that's what children are for, right? Children are needy. We're grown adults. What does Jesus say, though? Let all of us come to him like little children. Little children come needy. We must be reminded and boast in our neediness. Here's what Jesus says. In the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 6, he says, you cannot serve two masters. You can't have two masters. And then look at the masters that he says, of all the masters he could have gone to. He doesn't talk about sex. He doesn't talk about fame. He doesn't talk about a job. He talks about what? He says, you cannot serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve what? God and money. Of all the things he could have chosen to talk about serving, what does God, Jesus, choose? Money. Why? Because he knows money, more than any other thing, will keep us as believers away from needing God. We must... This morning, ask this question of our lives. Do you and do I, does this church rely more on our money or on God? I'm not saying it's not okay to have a bank account. I'm not saying it's okay not to have a savings account. All that's great. But is our savings account the thing that's going to save us? Or is our neediness for Christ Jesus? Do we believe that to be true? Now, again, I'm not advocating. I'm not going to come around, take up your offering plate again, and put. have you put more money in? I think that's silly. Not doing that. I'm just going to ask you to ask yourself, do I rely more on my bank account? Or, and I'll be honest, oftentimes in my life, I rely way, on my, way more on my bank account to keep me safe than I do on Jesus. Or I rely on my bank account to make me feel 
secure. My security is often found in Wells Fargo. Not in God and not in His Word. If I'm honest with you this morning and what I've asked God this week, God help me to be needy for you and other people. Keep me humble in that way. May I boast in that. And now James finishes this section of the testing of our faith. By saying you must have joy, you must have wisdom, you must be needy for the Lord. And then he says this, blessed is the man or the woman who remains steadfast under trial. For when he or she has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. You see, the ultimate goal of trials is what? The crown of life. That is our salvation. That is our security. And James is saying all of our trials are going to push us to the ultimate goal, and that's our eternal security with him. But James is going to remind us, as he's done before, and you can see in Proverbs chapter 30, both the rich and the poor will face trials. This is what the, pro, the, the writer in Proverbs says. He asked the Lord this of these two things. Would these two things be true of us this morning? Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. This is why he says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't make me poor. Don't make me rich. Verse 9. Least I be full and deny you. That's the rich. Who is, and say, who is the Lord? Or least I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Make me neither rich nor poor. Both the rich and the poor go through trials. But when we go through the trial of being rich or poor, those trials will bring us to a deeper understanding of who God is and who we are. And if we persevere, as James is saying, to persevere, there is the ultimate goal in our perseverance. It's the crown of life. It's your salvation. It's eternity with God forever and ever and ever. Is it not true that both the rich and the poor face death and cancer and loss all the same? You see, a poor man is just as needy in cancer as a rich man. A poor man needs God's provision in his life for a miracle the same way that a rich man needs a miracle. And what James is saying, if you really get dependent on God, whether you're rich or poor, and your dependency on God sees you through with perseverance through the trial, you will receive the crown of life. How many of us would believe that to be true this morning? How many of us want the crown of life this morning? Well, James says the promise to get the crown of life is through the trials. Again, I wish that was not in the text. But it is. For he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under the trial. You will go through trials is what James is saying. 
But if you withstand those trials and you persevere through the trials, he or she stood the test. He will, the promise is, you will receive the crown of life. And then I wish there was a period when we go to verse 13. But we don't. James goes on to say this. Not only must you persevere through the trials. It's not just the perseverance of the trials that gets the crown of life. It's how do we persevere through the trials. What does he say? Here's the how we are to persevere through trials. He says, which God has promised to those who what? Love him. There's so many people, even in our church today, that are facing and going through trials. My great fear for these men and women that are going through trials is twofold. First, that they won't persevere. Then they'll give up and quit too soon. The other is this, that they'll persevere. But in persevering, they'll stop loving God. You see, what James says is this, you have to persevere. But in your perseverance, you have to hold on to loving God. You see, right now in America, more than any other place, we're going through a lot of trials. And if you turn on any Christian news or read any Christian article, the amount of men and women that are going through trials, they're persevering it, but when they get past the perseverance through the trial, how many of them have walked away from the faith? We now call, it's got a trendy tagline, it's called deconstructing the faith, which I'm like, if you, you can't deconstruct something you never had. But how many Christians are walking away from the faith? Because it's really their trials is revealing, did they ever really truly love God? You see, throughout the book of 1 John, John is going to talk about this over and over. What does it mean to love God? So what does it mean for us to love God in our trials this morning? James says it this way in James chapter 4 and James chapter 5. I'll just quote a few verses this morning. James, John, 1 John chapter 4, 8 says this. Anyone who does not love does not what? Know God. Because God is love. If you don't love God, it's because you don't know God. If you don't know God, you can't have love. John goes on later, just a few verses later in John chapter First uh, John chapter 4, 16, he says this, For we have come to know and believe that the love of God, that God has what? Loved us. God is love. And whoever abides in love does what? Abides in God. And God abides in him. The way that we are to abide in God is in love. And God and his love in us. And so I'd ask this question to you this morning. Are you abiding in God's love and is God's love abiding in you? And then John says this in John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. For this is the love of God. Do you want to know if you love God this morning? Do you want to know if you're persevering through your trials, as James will say in verse 12? Because God has promised eternal life to those who what? Love him.
Eternal life only comes, based on James, if you have God's love in you and you love God. And John says it this way, for this is the love of God, that what? We keep his commandments. So you know you love God. I know I love God. We, the church, know we love God if we simply, what? Keep his commandments. And so I'd ask you first, do you know his commandments? And are you living by his commandments? And then John says it this way, and this is the greatest promise about God's loving commandments. His commandments are not, what? Burdensome. This is not a burdensome book. This is a book full from page one to the last page of freedom. This is a book of freedom, not burdens. Now, yes, there's things in this book that we don't like, that we don't want to live by, that are difficult, that are hard. But everything from the first page to the last page is because God loves us so much. And because God loves us so much, he wants us to what he says through himself in John chapter 10, Verse 10, I come to give you life and life to the full. You want to live a full life? Live this way. How many of us aren't living full lives because we're not living through God's word? Yes, God's word is difficult to live by. It's not likable. It's often not sensible. But throughout it, it says this. It's not burdensome. Jesus says this. Take on my yoke. For it is easy, light. Come to me, all who burdensome. And take on my yoke. And so this morning, I'd ask you this question. Will you and will I be reminded of how poor we were before we came to know Jesus. And will we boast now about our inheritance that he's given to us because we're needy? The second would be this, if you're rich and we are in this place, are you and am I pursuing those things that will only last for a moment? Or are we pursuing the crown of life which he graciously, kindly, and wants to give us? And lastly, will we believe in the ultimate gift that God will give us, the crown of life for those who love him? Do you love him this morning? Let me pray for us.